Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I'm really excited to have Adam Holt join me all the way from Philadelphia. Alan is the founder and CEO over at AssetMap, who we're very proud to have as a sponsor of this conversation. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Louis. It's a pleasure to be here and spend time with you. Adam, it's so great because I know how clear you are in terms of the thoughts that you tra- translate to you know, your presentations and to the audiences, and you spend a ton of time giving keynotes. So, I mean, it's just wonderful to have you here. Like, what's going on in the US at the moment? Are you back into, you know, face-to-face presentations or it's mainly virtual? Yeah. Well, you know, as you know, that, yeah, I'm a, I, I tell that everybody, I'm a recovering financial planner, right? I spent the 24 years as a financial advisor in the States, uh, and I love the business. And really, I think we're all educators, right? If you have the, if you have the desire to educate, help people and lift people, then you're an educator, a teacher. And so that's all the keynotes have been. It's just a mass spreading of, of a gospel, if you will, of, of how we can be better for our customers. In our, in our own practices, you know, I think the same thing that's happening in South Africa, where there's a desire and a demand for financial advice more than ever. And given the fact that we all have just such little attention span left, to focus in many cases on ourselves and how we can lift ourselves, let alone lift others. I I think my big mission has been recognizing how do you communicate quickly in a way that serves people and gets them empowered so that they can actually make better decisions. Now, around financial planning and financial advice and around insurance and investments, that tends to be around that one critical point that we all have had as financial advisors, which is the fact finding, right? The collection of data and the un- and the digging through the financial closet, right? Can we be intimate and non-judgmental and remove intimidation? And that's what we've been doing at Asset Map, at least, is is you know trying to help people get to a place where okay, I, I'm ready to address a problem, and I now understand the problem because you've educated me. Um, and of course, as a result, you know what happens when people understand problems, they, they solve them. And of course, on the revenue side, we tend to have success around that, right? Because we, we wind up placing more business as a result and serving people more intentionally. So that's really been, I think, my focus the past bunch of years. I don't think it's anything different anywhere around the world, right? Yeah, you waste no time, hey, jumping right in there. Why? Thing. Why waste time? I have no attention span. Everybody's, you know, <laughs> thinking about doing their emails right now and I want to make sure they pay attention. Is that how we got to have Asset Map? And so, for those that don't know, Asset Map really creates a visual picture of your client's financial life. And you mm-hmm. get to take them through a journey of financial planning where most software out there is really just so far removed from engaging the clients. Like, so, Adam, before we jump yeah. into you know, the software piece and, and how you got to building that, rewind us to you know, kind of finishing up high school and having to think of, of a career path like, what was the Adam thinking at that point? <laughs> and what happened? What, you want to go back to high school? Yeah, okay. I want to know. Uh, okay. I was a scrawny kid. No. Um, 
I don't think I'm scrawny, but what in high school? Gosh, I always wanted to be an architect, Louis. I I'm a I love art uh, and pencil drawing and sculpture and furniture building. That's what I got into as an adult, this building furniture. So when I went to college, my biggest I was a rower in a crew team. Uh, I wanted to row at the highest division in our country. So I went to a college where I could row and um, I did that for a couple of years and just got burned out from it. And I decided to pursue two majors and a minor because I got to keep busy, right? So I'm one of those people that just does more work than they need to. And I pursued um, uh, environmental planning, business, and also satellite imagery, remote sensing. Like this is, I don't know why I got into this, but it seemed to make sense. Um, And when (laughs) when I got out of college, I mean, who, who, who's hiring that kind of person? I, it turns out I wound up working for um, the, the uh, USDA, that's the United States Department of Agriculture, Forest Service, get this, Global Change Research Program. It's the largest funded research project in the United States around climate change. I figured, okay, they need to use satellites. They need to use computers. I'll, I'll work for them. And I worked for them for two years. And I realized one thing, Louis, you want to know what it was? I love people. I don't love computers. Okay. But as a result, I went to a job fair and I said, you know, maybe I'll try my hand at, um, at finances. I applied to jobs all around the world. I got offered a job in Goldman Sachs in Frankfurt, Germany. And my mother said to me, you know, maybe you should see if you like finance before you move across the world. And so I went to this job fair, as I told you, and I got introduced to a financial services firm who was hiring. I really loved the idea of helping people uh, educate them. And I took a job with them and got through, barely got through the interview process. Turns out they were looking for life insurance agents. I didn't realize that. So I started in the life insurance industry, like many of us, right? Which, which does a great job of hiring us, you know, out of school. We don't know anything. We want to create a career. It's not an easy business, as we all know. I remember um, the organization that I joined was incredibly well-respected. So I felt really strong about that. And the leader of the organization who was, you know, one of the most well-known people in the States, I'll leave out names because you could always do the research if you're really interested. But he said, if you're not thinking about quitting every single day, you're not working hard enough. I was like, wow, that's okay. That could be motivating. Of course, I had to experience that. We've all experienced this, right, Louis? Look, what am I doing in this job? <laughs> what, am I, what am I glutton for punishment, right? Um, but I stuck it out. And I, I remember there was, a, there was a seminal moment, which I shared with you briefly that I think has a lot of merit. We've all gone through this. There was a moment when I was, I was done. I was about a year and a half in. I was making, I think I made 11,000 US the first year. Um, I was living at home. I didn't have, you know, two nickels to, to rub together. Uh, I was paying my mother rent and I was like, I'm done with this. I got to get a regular job. So this is now your your third your second career change into a into a third yes job. at th- okay. right at twenty four right <laughs> my third career oh twenty five I would have been twenty five twenty six and this is a, not too long of a story but I think everybody can relate to it I I I said okay I have to make one ditch last ditch effort I went to lunch I asked someone to lunch a family friend I had no natural market I'm not somebody who has a, a significant amount of um, contacts even at that age we moved from New York to Philadelphia. So we didn't have family or friends. And I have a single mom who was quite busy and she was taking care of two parents um, until she had to restart herself. So she didn't have a connection or a network so much either. Um, so this classic situation of you, you got to figure out how to get business in the door. What did I do? I went to, to lunch with one of the family friends that we had. And I said, listen, I really need your help. Um, I've got this business idea, but I don't have anyone to call and I don't know who to talk to. And she said, I, I don't have any money, but she took out a napkin. She wrote four names and four phone numbers on there. She said, call these people. I called them all. I met with two of them. Uh, all four of them said they couldn't do business with me. But I offered one of them at the very end of the lunch meeting I had with her, who's, by the way, this person who I met with, this prospect, a successful businesswoman whose sister and her best friend were her financial advisors. Like, So there's no way I'm going to do business with these people, right? I said before I left. <laughs> right. Some loyalty there, right? I'm not going to earn the assets. I'm not taking the insurance. Okay, she, I said to her, I "says You know, you're you're probably five years away from retirement. Has anybody done a financial plan for you? Do you have enough capital to fund us?" She says, "You know, honestly, no." And I was so surprised, right? How many people work with trusted financial advisors? Nobody's told them whether they have the right stuff. I said, I "Tell you what, we've had such a nice lunch. I'm willing to do the financial plan for free, just because it's great experience for me." 
And if I can come up with any strategies that make sense that the other people haven't done, would you consider doing them? She said, yeah, sure, whatever, do it. Did the financial plan and I found a gap, something they had completely you know, ignored. Uh, and she wound up doing some business with me. And then she referred me to one person who referred me to one person who referred me to the next rest of my entire business. And that literally, that kicked off the, my survival. That's my survival story, Louie, right? As well as what wound up becoming you know, one of the most successful people in my 30s in my entire company um, because I used planning as in, in those days, a sales enablement tool to say, this is what you need, this is why you need it. Now they felt more comfortable. It wasn't about sales. Right? That, was, that was 20 years ago, believe it or not. Adam, I want to stand still on kind of those two decisions that you, you made. Like obviously mm. the one changing career early days. I can see this theme of data visualization, creating, yeah. taking complex data sets and, you know, creating a picture. So this was really uh, ingrained early days. But, you know, that sunk cost fallacy that, you know, we want to hold on to the things that we've been studying for. How difficult was that first career change and, you know, like that second one that you thought, like how close were you actually to, to quitting? I, I don't know. It's interesting you asked that question. I haven't thought about it like that before because I've always been interested in doing lots of things. I get my hands dirty a lot and I, I want to fix. I'm a problem solver by nature. So I was I like being challenged too. So the, the interesting thing about the prior career was it it satisfied a lot of my needs to actually solve and think, but its speed was too slow. I think working for the federal government and research on top of it showed me you want to get something done, you get to need millions of dollars in 10 years. I didn't have that time patience. For me on the financial advice side, I found that um, even the financial planning tools that we had used, which were very technical tools, they're intended for back office analysis. There was nothing that was helping me communicate technical complexity to the consumer who's got to make an informed decision with confidence. And the only thing they have to bridge the competence around that decision is this massive technical output, which we all call a financial planning outcome or a illustration for annuity or insurance or an investment analysis or profile or, or policy statement, right? I mean, these things are, these are intended for the professional, not as a communication tool to the consumer. And so that's really where Asimap came from because I actually applied what I had learned in architecture and design and data mapping and, and compressing content complicated stuff into its most consumable form to create Asimap. That took years. I, I created Asimap in 2004 for myself in my own practice. And it wasn't until 2006 that I got it compliance approved by my firm. But after 2006 and I started using in the field, I tripled my revenue three years in a row. And going from making, let's say, 30000 to making over a million in US is a massive shift in your 30s, right? So that that catapult was like, oh my gosh, can other people start doing that? And we started seeing that kind of result instantly um, within my firm and starting to use it. That's why actually it grew virally, actually like to kind of translate that into how did the past get us to the current? It's basically by having, thinking about the problem differently. And that's what I think my early career helped my current position, right? Yeah. So thanks Looking to back. your impatience, we now have a wonderful tool to actually see, you know, what the impact of our decisions is. And and we often portray it to our clients that way, saying, well, this shows us the trade-offs. And, you know, kind of when we when we talk about trade-offs in a financial planning firm, is it something that's discussed enough? Because, you know, obviously mm -hmm. there's always trade-offs in your decisions. And, and so kind of how, how much time should we be spending as financial planners thinking in terms of trade-offs or should it be more in terms of, you know, this is what the future is and let's try and create clarity uh, for you. Yeah, I think that's, I think those are really good points, Lee. In terms of helping people understand the context of the decision they need to make, right? If I'm retiring, do I need insurance here? Do I need some form of investments? Should they be aggressive investments? Why do I need income sources? Do I need a different legal structure, right? Th these kinds of questions I think are not top of mind, but are secondary to the conversation of, wait, why are we doing this in the first place? So in many cases, most of us who've figured out the financial advice game recognize that we have to give people some level of confidence that we are in a decision position or to help them make good decisions, right? In many cases, we all know our customers are relying upon us to drive the car. 
to make decisions or at least offer distinctions that they can use to make the decisions that serve them, right? There's enormous amount of trust in this. And in many ways, if you break it down, the financial advisor earns or creates that perceived trust based upon process, right? This process is either off-putting or it compels me. I feel like this person is on my team and we can make better decisions than I can on my own. And I would actually offer to you that Asset Map actually solved an even more basic problem for us, which is especially when you have higher net worth people or complexity, they tend to think about their financial stuff. They're one or two things, right? Their business, maybe their big account, right? Their, their large investment account or their largest one, and maybe their business if they have it or their real estate and or maybe their income, right? If that's their biggest uh, wealth generator, they kind of ignore all these little pieces that are around. And I very much think of it like a financial closet. Uh, have you heard of Marie Kondo? Are you familiar yeah, with Marie yeah, Kondo? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. If you don't know Marie Kondo, Marie Kondo is a, a Japanese sensation who's written books and also has shows now uh, that are syndicated that talk about organization. And there's uh, there's a Kaizen pr- principle behind this. It's a Japanese principle of basically honoring, respecting, and decluttering. And that actually serves you. And the point in he's saying this is, is the following, if you follow that or have heard of it, is very often we don't own mentally all of our junk, uh, all of our stuff that we've accumulated over time. And so we don't ask the question or challenge ourselves as to whether it's intentional and whether it serves us. And so the first job of all of us, before we can provide good diagnosis and financial advice to earn that credibility and trust, right, is we have to prove that we know what we're working with. And the asset map in many ways for us was to say, listen, is this an accurate picture of your current stuff? Yes or no? Do I know everything? Because you know that there's clients that don't always tell us everything, right? Because they don't think we need to know. They didn't think that it was relevant. So they decide to leave it out. So if it's not a current, an accurate picture, then we need to help people get to the place of, yes, no, you're missing this. Oh, you know what? My Nana set up some money over. It's in this bank here. Oh, really? I didn't know. What is the purpose of that? How does it serve us? Why is it there? Don't you have a lot of clutter here? Why is everything all on his side and she has nothing, right? You see this visually when you basically unpack the financial closet and dump it on the bed. So I think for many for many of us in financial advice, the key is to help people take ownership of what they actually own and then decide what is intentionally going back in the closet and what needs to get replaced. And I think that's an important aspect for all financial professionals, uh, whether you are insurance, investment, planning, uh, all the different names we call ourselves these days. Uh, financial advisor and such, we I all need to do this of first. Kind of decluttering and just you know doing a mind up and actually saying, let's get this on paper. It's like creating your to do list when you have all these things in your head, and you know they're all saying, write down the list before you start tackling. And what you're saying is that apply that to your your finances and organize it and saying, hey, even almost to the extent to say, is this serving you and is this does it everything? Serve you? Yeah, yeah. What That's exactly with, right. With the clients is that they jump in and they say, ah actually, this is my map and I, I guess I want to add this. You know, mm. We haven't spoken about this before and just that difference of asking versus them saying and them soliciting the advice uh, changes the conversation. What did the asset map look like you know, 15 years ago in those, those first drafts? Like, did it look very different from what we know today? No. It's incredibly similar. I mean, don't get me wrong. The first three or four years, we did have to move things around. In the early days, we were we had our technical hats on and we added pie charts of asset allocation next to the, all of them. And we added performance numbers and then we added uh, tax basis. And then we started turning it back into this technical mess. We turned our x-ray machine into an MRI and we're like, oh, this is so pretty. And we're like, wait a minute. Everybody, now everybody's like, okay, now interpret it again. So we said, you know what? The key here was to work on this concept called, I, I call it simple rich. Simple rich. It's this kind of the bridge between technical and simplistic. Simplistic, by the way, I believe is a derogatory term. It's basically taking something that's that has richness and you're basically oversimplifying it for the purpose of making it simple. I don't think that people appreciate that. And professionals, it doesn't make us look smarter, first of all. So the key to the key to getting something consumable is to make it relevant. So it is difficult, Louis. I have to tell you, it is really difficult to take something that's 20 pages or typically in a balance sheet spread, you know, format, right? A 
bunch of columns and turn it into something that a human can comprehend quickly and understand and get deeper, ask a second question and get that answer from the same presentation. Oh, wait, what's the next? Oh, and answer that same question from the same presentation. That is very technically difficult. Um, I think I think we've done a pretty good job over years of of constantly cutting. And that's a that is a principle that we try to apply for everything. Our financial planning, 30 seconds, you should be able to run it on one page. Okay. That's what you should be able to do. I'm not spending five hours creating a financial plan anymore. And so we've tried to apply this principle to everything we're creating uh, at Asset Map. But it's not that different from where we started um, because it worked. And it worked for both wealthy and non-wealthy people. Do you have other rules in your design team saying, hey, these are the core principles that we're using when we're thinking of adding new features or, or looking at what we've built? Absolutely. We do. It actually has to go... <laughs> In many in the in the first early days, Lee, my goal was one page or not, uh, nothing. Like, I, if you can't get it to one page, there's there are plenty of books out there. Um, there's one uh, I think it was a uh, I can't remember what it was called. There's a story um, that that basically I'll summarize it really quickly. Uh, gentleman says, "Okay, you know, here's my recommendation, boss. Here's 80 pages on what we should do." And he says, "Okay, do me a favor." to put this into five pages and then come back and a couple of weeks later it comes back. Oh, I got it to five pages. Like, this is really great. Get it to one page. I got to take it to the team. They're like, are you kidding me? So he takes it and he finally gets it after all this time to one page. You can imagine what happens. Eventually he says, I got to take this up to the board. I need it on one paragraph, right? So compress your 80 pages into a paragraph and the, the person's freaking out, right? He's like, are you kidding me? I've got all this information you're going to miss. And he says, I need to know whether to make the deal or not. Right. I need to know whether you, I know you got a thought process. Can you get me to the place of what should I do, Louis? Like, should I buy it? Should I sell it? What should I do? Um, And that's what we really need from our technical experts is we need to, we need their confidence to come to the table and say, here's all this fantastic research, but here's your presentation. As a result, the answer to your question is everything in Asset Map, if it doesn't fit on one page, I don't want it. So you have to get it to a single tear sheet or else it doesn't deserve to be on the platform. That is not easy, especially with compliance. So yeah, we have some small text at the bottom, but the key is we think this way. We can consume a single page. And if we're all looking at that same single page, nobody reads ahead, right? Nobody's, you have to stay on point. And that's really important because you get it done and you move it to the next. Uh, and that process is pretty, pretty similar, literally globally, right? We can focus for a little bit. So when you hire people into your team, like is that a key piece that you would bring up and saying, okay, you know, be able to simplify or like you said, simple reach uh, within mm. uh, your process or kind of what does the hiring process look like within your team? <laughs> That's really funny that you asked that question because by you asking that, I realize I don't know the answer to that. We tend to, the people that have joined Asset Map, there is a, there is a very specific requirement we have at Asset Map and that is... You have to communicate and you have to be a good person, right? We try to figure that out. Are, are you someone that we're going to want to run this team with, right? Because if you're not good in the, in the, you know, if you've got a bad attitude, like it's, it's not going to last very long anyway. So we really go after that and, and we try to bring in people from completely different environments. We know from at least my prior experience that bringing in an artist architect into financial planning was not the best hire from a <laughs> probability standpoint, right? I'm not aggressive. I'm not assertive. Um, I over-explain everything clearly. And, you know, that's not really good for life insurance. But that being said, it took me to literally revolutionize that company because there are, that entire company in the United States, 5,000 advisors, Asset Map is the number one use tool and the highest performing tool in the entire company. They adopted my process because they saw what I was able to do for myself despite having tried to teach me a different process when I start there, we were able to actually literally revolutionize this, this global company. Innovation happens when you start answering or, or challenging problems in different ways than people have always thought about it. And that's, that's what I think we're looking for here too, is we want to bring in people that are going to not think the way that we think, but they're also going to be great people because we still want to be on the team with them, right? That's, that's really, cr that's critical. I love that because the communication is actually what you know, asset map facilitates communication between the advisor and the end client. That's true. That is all it's about. Do you know that actually one of the funny things where I think we've, we've tried to be different is we're not trying to create a better financial plan. 
We're not we're not saying that any math spreadsheet cash flow burn down insurance strategy is better than another. We don't know that. And they're going to be different four or five years from now than they are today. They're going to be distributed differently. They're going to be priced differently just because that's the nature of everything. What is going to be what is going to be the common scenario for all of us in financial advice? We will all have to prove that we know the client. And I say prove, by the way, not just fact find. We actually have to be able to attest to it when, you know, God forbid something comes back on us legally. Did you do all the, did you do the process, right? Did you find the facts? Can you back it up? Can you support it, right? This compliance component of prove that you know your client. So we all have to do that no matter what, whatever the products look like in the future and how we're paid, by the way. And as a result, the key is to, to elevate the advisor's experience as opposed to the technical experience. Yeah, I love that. And we're already seeing that through our colleagues in Australia. You know, it's all about the case notes. Is there an additional note on the on the file when the compliance department comes in? And and like you're saying, it's about the experience for the advisor. And then subsequently, you know, the client gets uh, gets a massive benefit as well. I yeah, want to touch we'll do, a little bit yeah, please. On, on this kind of uh, focus on integration of systems talking to each other. And I'd love mm-hmm. to hear your view on kind of a financial ecosystem, where is the place for these more technical tools, you know, these Monte Carlo simulations, the pie charts mm. that you were talking about? Where does that sit and how, like, does it need to speak to our other tools? Is that even important? You know, <laughs> I have a lot of challenge with this topic. Um, I've spoken a lot about it globally now. And I have the, you, I think in general, in, in this, this voice, I have the unique experience of being both a financial advisor, living it in the field, running a firm, growing a firm, selling a firm, and then running a fintech that actually serves those advisors. And it is certainly table stakes that you have the capacity for these tools to talk to each other. In other words, they have to be built on a framework, what we call an API, RESTful API, which basically just means there is a glossary or a lookup directory between systems. They could connect to each other, right? They're Legos, right? They're all built on a Lego concept. You can keep building onto it. That's critical today. However, I have not seen a real idealistic, truly integrated financial tech. Everything talks to each other perfectly. There's no redundancy. There's no double entry. I haven't seen it yet. And it's hilarious that we've been talking about it for so long and nobody really has pulled it off. And do you know why they've never pulled it off? Because it's incredibly complicated and expensive. And the funny thing is, is that the systems that have gotten close enough to actually fully integrating with each other, the advisors don't use it. They don't use it. So it seems idealistic that we would have all these tools talking to each other and it would be perfect, right? But then the advisors don't care in the field. We, we find, In general, now there are certainly some of you that are listening. They're like, no, 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 no. That's what I want and that's what I need. And that would be great. The problem is, is that these larger companies and vendors like ours, even ours, we just don't have the capacity to handle all of the connections that need to happen. So we're all getting away with, let's say, 20% of the capacity to connect because we know at least everybody will use it. It's an 80-20 rule, right? You can't invest for the 4 or 5% of the population that are going to actually use it. You know what a great example of that is, Louis? So aggregation has been a really big topic in the United States, which basically means the customer can aggregate all of their accounts all over the place onto one portal or one dashboard. It requires, as you can imagine, them the client puts in all their passwords and it either goes out to the custodians and the different companies and it pulls in that information. Now, in South Africa, you have a fantastic system where it is centralized for most of, the, for most of um, asset management, right? Um, in the States, we don't have that. So you can imagine how complicated this can be. 10, 15 different logins for different companies to pull the information. In the largest company that provides this service, fantastic product. of the advisors that buy that product for the purposes of using it actually execute it. Okay. Well, that's pretty sad. So 20% actually, we bought, it's like buying the the weight system. 20% are actually using it. Okay. Set it up in the first year. By year two, only 20% of that 20% is using it. So 4% of the original population is actually still going to the gym proverbially, but we have to buy, we have to build that. So my point in saying this is defined. Data aggregation has been data aggravation for the field force. 
And the reality is that most of us in the sales side, we can get by with a yellow pad and a pen and a calculator. And anything that slows us down tends not to get high priority. So I know that there's I, this, I, this is sacrilege in many ways for me to say this as a tech manager, because we have over a million people in asset map and we just crossed $1.4 trillion in US in, you know, in, in the system. It's a massive amount of information. Shouldn't that data go to somewhere? I think it should go to CRM. It should go to investment management tools. And in many cases, if you're not using us for financial planning, financial planning. So those three, as Michael Kitsis says all the time, right, is one of our bigger thought leaders. Financial planning, CRM, and investment management should be all integrated. And if you can tag on your, your uh, let's say, your profiling tools like what we do or risk management, those are, those are good integrations that you should seek to do. But don't worry about getting it perfect because that's idealistic. I love that. It's kind of you you build it and you expected that they would come, but only 4% stick around to actually use this. Yeah, and so maybe a, yeah. a better question would be to ask, well, actually, you know, what should we be focusing on when we look at our at our tech stack as a financial advisor that's, you know, let's say we've been in the industry for five or six years. What do you see as the piece that's missing, you know, from your users that might already have asset map? Like what are the pieces that they're struggling with? There's a couple of things that I think advisors are missing in general. They don't understand it yet. And it's really this question of the data side. So one of the things that I, I've always thought about it from when you start out early in the practice, you're literally just trying to feed yourself, right? So if you're a hunter or a gatherer, you're going out, you're prospecting and you're just, you don't have a farm yet. You don't have a, a residual base of, of income or business or clients coming in. You're a hunter gatherer, right? Over time, when you've, you've figured out how to feed yourself, you start planting seeds, right? And that's really the start of your practice. Eventually, if you have an asset management business or a recurring revenue model, uh, even through insurance, then typically you start getting revenue. But all of a sudden, what happens is all those seeds you've planted, if you were able to stick with the farm, uh, they're becoming overwhelming. And now you need to add staff, right? Now you, can, now you can't pick all the, 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 the fruit. Half of it's going to rot. It's not getting paid attention. So you bring on staff. Now you bring on another advisor. Now you bring and you grow your firm and you start building out a full farm and your problems change, right, Louis? The problems that you had at this moment in time are not the problems you had when you started. And guess what? They are not going to be the same problems five, 10 years from now. Why? Because if you continue to have success, what all of a sudden you realize is, You've got a bunch of farms that nobody thought about how you planted it. You were just trying to survive, right? You got, you know, you got your soy here and your wheat here and it's intermixed with the corn and you, it's like a mess and you, it's totally disorganized. So almost all of us go through this process. We're like, okay, we got to clean the house, put everything back in rows because it's going to be easier to farm now. Um, maybe I, we're not going to keep this crop and I'm using this analogy because hopefully all of us understand it. I'm going to delegate this. The, we're not taking care of the wheat anymore. We're going to have these juniors handle this. And we're really going to focus on the apples and oranges. Okay. I'm making all this up. Hopefully you can see this in your mind. The point of the story is that eventually we get to the place where we're actually running a business. We're running a farm business. And what we need to know to be more efficient or take it to the next level is we need to understand the data. In the analogy, going back to financial advice, one of the things that we realized in our firm is we got to 1,600 clients. These are households. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. Okay, celebrate the success. What did we do to get here? All the failures we had to get here as well. What's the next problem? The next problem is how do I make sure we're giving contextual advice to those people? How do I, do I know actually of those 1,600 households who's underinsured right now? Right now, who's driving around without their seatbelts on? Because as their advocate, I should be able to tell them. I should be able to reach out and say, I'm looking out for your financial interests and I know we're underinsured in this situation and we need to solve the problem. Call me for 15 minutes, we're solving this problem. And that's what you get out of recognizing if you don't set up the data early, when you arrive down the line, it is a total mess. So what am I telling you to do? When you, when you actually install technology into your platforms, make sure there's a way to get the data out. One of the things that we focused on over the past couple of years is, can we give people data analytics from the very beginning, so that when you set up your farm, you can actually, I can, you could tell me how many people have wheat, how many people have soy, how many people have soy, but no wheat, how many people need soy, but don't have wheat, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think this is the real key. When you want to sell your practice, eventually you're going to need to know this because that's going to be the true value of the opportunity too. So I think that's the missing piece is we haven't been trained in our business to understand big data around our own practices. So we don't set that up up front, right? And that's that's where I think we're missing it. And so we're, you're going to see a lot of this innovation, I think, 
uh, in the near future. That's one of the things we're focusing on heavily now. I love this theme of kind of visualizing data. And, you know, we know with, like you mentioned, big data and data analytics, how that's such a massively growing field where people specialize in data analytics, yet we see very little medium or smaller size financial planning firms use the tools or even have access to the tools for the data in their business to tell a story to say like you mentioned these crops like where are they planted you know what are we thinking about the weather we're talking about weather predictions instead of thinking about how our farms are laid out very true very true and how we're gonna how we're gonna optimize that because we can't help also uh when you have a business wonder how can i do this slightly better right if you have that entrepreneurial mindset you're you're always thinking that's how you got to where you are in a sense, right? You're building something, you have ownership over it and you want it to be effective and efficient and you want to get rid of waste also, by the way. Um, and I, I think it's you, the problem that you have when you create a successful practice or firm or entire uh, distribution arm is you need to know where to focus your time and attention. And that's the key to the data side. Tell me all the clients that are approaching retirement that have no critical care solution, but have assets that can afford it but probably can't self-insure, that's a condition. That's a, I need to know those 15 people because we need to actually reach out to them and solve the problem for them because that's the standard we've set for ourselves. Now, we all might be thinking that, Louis, that we look after our clients' best interests all the time. But if we don't know that there's an issue you know, with one of them, how are we supposed to bring it up? Because we're managing all of this in our minds. We could wait for the annual review or we could call them before we had a solution. I just found out, unfortunately... A friend of mine passed away in his 40s. Unfortunately, it was COVID related. You know, the first thing I'm thinking is how come I did Did I call them and make sure that they had the right life insurance protection, that their their state was, or did I wait wait to the wait to the annual review when I bring it up and he says, eh, I don't want to do it, right? That's a, that's a standard that we have to hold ourselves to, to look out for people. And I think we're, that's going to be an expectation, by the way, of the consumers that are paying for advice, not just once a year or twice a year, all the time. You're looking out for us all the time, not just when it's convenient to your calendar. Yeah, we see this shift away from sales where it's almost, it feels uh, it feels like a bad word. Right? You phoning someone saying, hey, can we make sure that everything's in place? Yet that's part of your fiduciary role if that is your, that is your client. It is true, right? I mean, can you imagine? I guess if physicians were in a place where, listen, they told you, here's what you need to do. You need to take this, take this drug to serve based upon what you, and then they never give you a prescription slip, right? <laughs> They don't expect that you're going to go to the pharmacy and tell them something complicated. No, I tell me which drug to buy and how much to take and how often to take and give me the instructions. I'm, I'm, I'm hiring you not just to diagnose the problem, but I need you to solve the problem. Should I be upset that the pharmaceutical company makes money by creating this? No, they're saving the planet, right? It's part of the, we've all bought into this process of capitalism. So let's, you know, let's get over it. But it's true. The sales, um, and Derek and I talk about this in our podcast, um, sales has been associated with a negative experience because most consumers want to buy. They don't want to be sold. Um, but the reality is that nothing happens in this planet until something is sold. So I think uh, we have to also give credit where it's due. Um, we do position typically as a financial advisor. So pretty much everybody in the States is now positioning as advice first. We call this leading with advice. And if you're someone who always leads with advice, then hopefully that's something that, that connects for you. But we can't ignore the fact that we still need to help people buy, whether that's going to be through a digital marketplace in the future. How we get compensated is really the question I think many of us are trying to figure out is, is the same level of uh, compensation or how we're paid going to persist uh, in the future of financial advice delivery? That is the real question I think we need to get to. Adam, I want to stand still. You mentioned that you you sold a firm. What mm -hmm. were the kind of things that you wish you wanted at that point where you were selling your firm that you know you maybe didn't have what were the things that i wish i had well i <laughs> i'll tell you what i did have that really made it possible instead because i was brought into the firm i joined uh two individuals who had joined their practices they were individual insurance estate practices two of the top um advisors in the whole country decided to merge and they were small teams, right? With a couple of assistants at the time, back in 2000, they were looking for a young person. I was at the right place at the right time. I had made a, self, a little name for myself by leading with financial planning as a young person. That was a little rare back in 2000. And uh, so I joined them to start an investment team. The reason I tell you this is because we focused very heavily on supporting our, our infrastructure. We had 
two advisors, uh, myself, who was a junior advisor. I carried the bags, did all the pair planning, all the financial planning. We had an underwriting person, a uh, person who did all support and calls. Uh, and then I had eventually um, a person who supported me in doing all illustrations and presentations. Um, and the reason why I tell you that is because we focused heavily on roles. We ran the organization very much like um, uh, I came from a military family. So we had this idea that everybody's cross-trained in at least two roles so that if we ever lost somebody or there was sickness or family situation or they, they left for some reason, uh, employment, we never lost anybody employment-wise because they just they actually still work there. We have people working there 30 years already, which is really funny. What is Why is that relevant for somebody who's thinking about succession? We had in place... I was able to literally sell my firm, my portion of the firm back to my existing advisors because we had thought about succession. We have somebody who's always a decade older and an advisor who's always a decade younger than everybody, obviously exception to 20-year-olds. And the reason that's important is because we thought about succession when we built it, just like we thought about data when we built AssetMap. How am I going to get the data out five years from now when I care? Um, And so that was why having a team members with buy-sells that we already had clear understanding of the valuations of the companies, funded with insurance, by the way, we actually did what we tell all our clients to do. Um, I, I think we really just tried to walk our talk and make ourselves a model of how we were going to tell our clients to, to live. And so when we needed to execute it, it wasn't difficult, Louis. It was a clear understanding. And most more than anything, we had built up so much trust with each other that we knew that no matter what the kind of where we would have sticking points on the exit values, that we would always work it out. We agreed. So I think the key is setting yourself up by having the right infrastructure, doing what you already know to do, and finding that people that you can work with, that you have strong communication, that you trust. And that's that's really, isn't that the whole key to pretty much everything? Everything else will make work, right? But if if we have those things, we can we can weather the storm. Yeah, drinking the Kool-Aid, like doing the actual yeah. work that we tell our clients oh, to do. Pay the premium. Do, yeah. do that internally. And yeah. then, you know, I can, I can see how you tend to think in the future and how you're simplifying data and that simple reach come through again. Hmm. Are there people that are kind of supporting you, you know, like mentors or coaches that you look up to that have really helped you through this journey or kind of what are the things that stand out? Oh, there's no question. I mean, nobody gets anywhere on their own, really. As much as I tend to think that I I uh, did it as a loner. Um, I definitely had a lot of no's, by the way. Don't don't get me wrong, right? There's plenty. Everybody can catalog their no's why it won't work. But yeah, I had I had well, beside my mother, who was a, a you know a fantastic champion of me, even still to this day. Thank you, mom. She actually introduced us to coaching very early on. By the time we, I was 16 or 17, I had basically gone through all of the Tony Robbins events on you know in person. Uh, so that was a life coaching experience that I got really early on, earned, learned communication style, learned how to understand people and forgive and also move on. And a lot of things that we we probably learn more often in our 40s and actually seek advice around. So I got that early. So thank you. Um, and then my two mentors were really critical. Um, Andy and Andy, they were the people they were, we always called, I called them basically my surrogate fathers. They did trained me in this business and they lifted me. They catapulted my career 10 years. There's no question. Uh, they also invested in me when I said I wanted to do asset map and I was scared to actually take other people's money. They said, we're behind you. Um, so they were huge supporters of me even today. And probably the most influential person, you know, for me has been my right-hand man, Thomas. Uh, and Thomas says, uh, I'm leaving out last names cause, uh, to protect the innocent. But the, but the bottom line is, is, uh, you know, he's, he's been my, we kind of joke, he's been my compliment in running these businesses. He's a fantastic executor and communicator, and he always holds me to account. Even just this morning, Louie, he was, he was asking and challenged my thinking on why I'm doing certain things and forced me to get out of my comfort zone. So I have people around me that have, that have been supportive. I've been very blessed in that area. Uh, but I think it's critical. I, I, every, I've pretty much had a coach on staff or on, on retainer at some point at some level. I think that's a great testament to athletes, right? They always have a coach. Even the number one person in the field has a coach. Why? Because they don't see everything. They can't see everything. Uh, and they need that feedback. They need a mirror. Yeah, it's great. That's surrounding yourself with with the right people and you know, getting the people to bring out the best in you. I want to talk a little bit about how you got into South Africa and kind of how that process works. And maybe for a lot of the people listening, they would know the the local team, but they probably don't know the backstory. Can can you share with us like 
how that <laughs> I don't know if they want us to tell the backstory, but um, you know what? Actually, it is, it is actually a great story looking backwards. Um, if you know Gary, Benny, and Kirsty, uh, and, and, and Jonah before uh, them, part of the original team, they experienced Asset Map. I, th- I want to say they experienced it through Michael Kitsis, who promoted it or at some point or talked about it years ago, four years ago, maybe five years ago. And what I think they saw, and I don't want, I'm putting words in their mouth, so I apologize if they're listening to this and I'm saying the story wrong. My understanding of the story was they saw how Asset Map had, uh, was ability to solve a standard problem that we all have, which is, can you get a client and advisor on the same page? Literally. Can you literally just say, yes, we understand each other. You understand these set of facts. I understand these set of facts. Here's my intelligence applied to those set of facts, which is, you need to move this around. We need to get rid of this, or you're missing this. What can I fix? What can I fill? And that's a universal thing. We always knew that Asset Map worked cross-culturally in the States, multiple languages and currencies. But we didn't know if it was going to work jurisdictionally. In other words, could I put it in a different tax environment or a different legal structure? Slightly different. Um, and so that was a big experiment for them to, to basically say, we want to, we want to leave our jobs uh, at a companies that you all know and work with every day and be entrepreneurs and take this process to the next level. And they've done a great job championing that vision and what's the possibility if all financial advisors used Asset Map. Uh, in their fact gathering process, and that's really where we're seeing. If, if you're not familiar with Asset Map, it's it's a client profiling experience where you can visualize what's going on in the household. And yes, we do financial planning because I think it's a commodity, right? We should be able to tell somebody if you're on track for retirement. But the core of what we do is the Asset Map report tends to be the big the big draw. And they're showing that thousands of of, uh, of people have been touched already in South Africa. So it's uh, it's really great to see they're they're pioneers. Uh, and we're excited to see what's happening in South Africa. It's, it's, um, it's, the result is, by the way, Louis, the advisors are making more money, right? So in a sense, they're saving time or they're making more money and their clients are happier. That's a pretty good formula for success. So I, I'm, really, uh, I'm really happy they're doing that process. So Adam, was, was this the first taste of waters outside of South Africa in terms of asset map, putting their flag down? You, outside of the United States? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the first... Yes, it was the first real concerted business effort as opposed to dabbling. It, we, we do have customers now literally all over the world. Um, but I would say South Africa is, is definitely the, was the starting point of it outside of the States. And it's exciting to see how far you guys have taken, how that's affected, affected your practice and your world, which is really fun. Uh, so thanks for having the opportunity to contribute to your experience and, be, and earn a place on that team. Um, yeah, so we're excited for where it's going. There's some there's a new project actually we're about to reveal uh, in the next couple of months uh, called Signals, which is the ability literally to p- apply artificial intelligence to imagine a, a red light, green light on your dashboard that says this family is underinsured, right? You can't hide from that, right? It's just there's a problem. If we, God forbid, have a loss of something, you don't have the money to cover it, which means you better bring up that conversation. So we wanted to get to a place where every advisor experienced or new veteran or rookie is going to be able to say, I can do a fact find and the system will tell me, you know what, this is something you should talk about, right? Mathematically, I'm worried about it. Double check, please. Double check what that looks like. Yeah, because you have the data, but you don't necessarily want the system or the robot to do the conversation. That's where the human piece comes in. That's right. Right. I want to know there's a there's a there's a problem with reactor number four. Someone go down and check it out, right? It may be a false positive, right, Louis? There might be there's some information that we don't have. Um, or the client doesn't care, by the way. <laughs> that could be something else. But we need to be able to tell, you know, just like you walk through the 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 metal detector in the airport, right? And the, the light goes off and they're like, okay, you got keys in your pocket, right? It could be benign, it could be something, or it could be something really serious. We want to stop you and check, all right? But we can't let our clients go through life walking around thinking they're fine when they're not. We need to be the champions of bringing that up to them, right? I think that's what true financial advocacy is. And if you're going to charge a fee for advice, I think you also have to look at check in on the store every once in a while uh, when the client's not asking. And that means the system has to help you do that, right? It has to tell you, listen, these are red lights. These are yellow lights. Go check it out or prioritize this. Don't prioritize that, but make sure you do something. Don't do nothing, right? Yeah, it's like Brett Davidson, who's a practice management consultant, always says clients just want to know that they're okay and That's you know, give the data to back it up, show them that they're going to be okay. And if they're not going to be okay, at least help them to get to a point where they're in a better position. 
Agreed. I totally agree. That is what they want to know. Adam, what's the what's the kind of 10, 15 year vision for asset map? Once everyone already has an asset map on their fridge, <laughs> like uh, what, everyone happens, has what happens after that? Well, when everyone has an asset map, then uh, that's a good question. Um, I have a I have a funny vision that is to put asset map on every refrigerator on the planet. What does that mean? Well, you and I probably you have children now, and when your when your you know, child starts drawing or creates art, art or what we call art, <laughs> um, it's going to mean something to you, and it's going to be placed likely on your refrigerator or near your kitchen or a place where you live. In the states, one of the one of the common visions is uh, your refrigerator basically has magnets and pictures of your family and the the phone number for the doctor and you know the the things that you need. To find everybody knows where it is because it's living in the place where you look all the time. But finances gets ignored all the time, and I'm not to say that we need to put our finances on display. What I what we need to do is we need to recognize and own our own financial inventory, right? That which we consume, um, because that serves us and it helps educate us, and it shows even to maybe our children that these are important things to recognize because there's just abysmal education financially, right? In our entire planet, we just don't take the time to educate. And so if it lives on the fridge, then the, the analogy for me is that it has importance as much as some of these other things. And it's also consumable, AKA it's on the fridge. Now, what does that mean? Actually? Um, it means that we think that financial advisors will start to use asset map as the proverbial x-ray for all financial wellness. So when you go into a hospital, right, you have something wrong with you. The x-ray is an easy diagnostic tool. Everybody can see the results. Here's where the broken bone is, or here's where the dark spot is, or I don't see anything wrong. This is not a broken bone. Um, some things require an MRI, right? Really deep problems. I call that financial planning tools. Some problems just require physical therapy. Okay, go do some stretching. Okay, we can just solve that problem. Something's in between. The reason I say it to you that way is because I think ASIMAP is going to become a diagnostic standard, just like a balance sheet or an income statement is a standard for, for let's say, financial advice in the tax world. I think ASIMAP is going to become the professional's diagnostic tool for communicating what's going on in people's lives. That's our goal. Um, but that means that the consumer needs to also have access. And so we're working very diligently on giving consumers the ability to have and own their asset map over the long haul. Because I think one of the bigger challenges is that I've realized in financial tech, Louis, that we've retained ownership of the data and the experience at the advisor level, and we've not empowered the consumer to do anything on their own until that meeting once a year. And that's a, that's a failure because we're not helping people get healthier. We're making them more dependent. And I would like to see asset map basically be in the hands of the consumer where they're literally choosing to share it with the advisors and professionals they work with in reverse. We may still very be as professionals, the distributor of the technology, because we all know consumers don't make the best choices on their own, but they have to get it and they have to own it and they have to learn to adopt it and take over it. And I think that's, that's the key um, to the future. And that's why I think we can do it on everyone's fridge. Adam, that's a wonderful vision and congratulations with you know Thank the you. progress that you've already made, you know, the one point five trillion of assets that's being displayed in these maps on people's fridges. Um, mm -hmm. showing the progress towards their dreams. I mean, it might sound cliche, but these are the things that you know we help people to plan as a financial planner, getting to do that. Uh, it really has the changed the way we do business for the better. And mm. I look forward to seeing what you and your team get to create and, and the team in South Africa to distribute. And I wish you very well with, uh, with the rest of that journey. Thank you, Louie. And thank you for everything you're doing in the industry. Thanks for your leadership uh, and for you know, and, and making the effort. It's not easy. So we do appreciate everything that you're doing for everybody else. Thanks, Adam. Jetsu. All right, Louie. Have a good one. Cheers. Mm -hmm.